Hey, good morning, everyone. It's Friday morning, so it's time for Hollywood Breaks. It's good to be with you once again at this on this beautiful time and this beautiful day. And you can see we have even more beautiful people with us because Keith keeps bringing his wonderful friends into this room and have this conversation. So Keith, I'm always thankful. Michelle is the latest and greatest of this uh, collection of wonderful insiders that we have. <laughs> uh, why don't you uh, take a time to introduce yourself and introduce Michelle. Yeah, I mean, I got to stop bringing on all these people who always look better than me, you know? Like, you've got to kind of go, go with people that don't look as good as as good as good me. Anyway. We have to figure out what's more challenging there, Keith. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, really uh, glad to introduce this uh, this guest today. Um, she is one of, uh, one of my uh, former colleagues at Fox, was truly in the trenches with me at Fox, and um, did some really great work with her. She's wonderful to work with, um, you know... It, it really was like a true family while we were there. And, you know, it's great to reconnect with all these people. And I will say, she is definitely one of the best people to be at a, a um, Golden Globes party with. Her and her husband definitely know how to party. I will give her that. So without further ado, please welcome Michelle Marks. Glad to have you, Michelle. Great to have you here. Welcome to Hollywood Breaks. Uh, why don't you start? We always start these off by having people describe how they got started in the business, where they come from. So... Why don't you start there and uh, tell us a little bit about your background. And tell us about this Golden Globes <laughs> party. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for having me on. It's really nice to be here. I've seen a few of your Hollywood breaks, so I'm very excited to be here. Um, as Keith mentioned, we had um, some great experiences working together at Fox. But actually, before I started at Fox, um, you know, I'm a Syracuse University graduate. And um, go orange. Taste, go orange. <laughs> uh, my first taste of, of entertainment was uh, in New York City. I was working at Turner Broadcasting, which was a medium-sized company at the time. Um, I then moved to Los Angeles and was part of the Disney Channel relaunch, um, which was a lot of fun. A relaunch rebrand was really exciting. Um, I went over to Fox Home Entertainment and then over to Fox Theatrical, where I worked on more Marvel films than you can imagine, uh, animation, musicals, Star Wars, comedies, Avatar. Um, and now I'm currently um, an adjunct professor for the USC Stark grad program. And here I am today on your podcast. So this resume is amazing. I want to ask this question to everybody that we have on Hollywood Breaks because I'm always so curious of really, you know, how, how'd you get started? You kind of heard the resume, but there's also something so curious of, how did you have such a great resume? Like, wh what did you do right that you get to go from Turner to Disney to to really the Marvel world and Star Wars world, all that kind of stuff? Well, it was, I like to say I did a bowl of spaghetti because I didn't <laughs> have any relative that was paving the way for me. So, um, I literally was super lucky when I moved out to California. Um, the Disney Channel was going through sort of a, a rebrand. Um, it was the stepchild of the Walt Disney Company. And I wanted to get into film, but nobody would hire me because I had no film experience. So I had cable experience. And the Disney Channel was a cable service that it, at the time, if you subscribe to any of the cable operators, there was a package you could buy, kind of like a sports package with ESPN. Right. You get the Disney Channel, you pay a little premium. Um, and they needed people not only to market their tiering campaigns, but to help relaunch it because a woman by the name of Jerry Laybourne uh, was heading up all the Disney, ABC, Cap City merger stuff that was happening. 
And so I had so much experience working for different cable properties at Turner that they felt that I could be an asset to what was the stepchild of the Walt Disney Company. And it was a really exciting place to be because, you know, so often you're given opportunities that you're not really prepared for, but if you're motivated and driven, you can pretty much do anything. And I was really excited about the opportunity, not just to launch preschool programming blocks or original movie blocks, but we took the people from Mickey Mouse Club, uh, Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, and made them into superstars and nobody knew who they were. And we had these incredible, we had an incredible team of people at the time at the channel um, who've all gone on to do um, amazing things um, who really helped brand it. And uh, I had a great opportunity then to move over to Fox Home Entertainment, which still wasn't quite the theatrical that I wanted. But but one step closer. closer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was my bowl of spaghetti. Yeah. So I'll tell you a little quick story of a project that I had the opportunity to work on at Fox Home Entertainment because the movies that we were working on for that group were films that had come out 25 years earlier or 40 years earlier. They had a newspaper ad. There were three television networks that people were using to market. So it was kind of a blank canvas. And so we were working on things like the Rocky Horror Picture Show 25th Anniversary let's go to VH1 and bring in their fan club and do a live stage show in Vegas. That has absolutely nothing to do (laughs) with a Rocky Horror Picture Show purchase. But yet we created an event and made it feel really important. And it was the beginnings of experiential marketing. We had a Marilyn Monroe box set. How are we going to make this sexy? Well, I knew that Marilyn was the first cover of Playboy magazine. Um, And Hugh Hefner at the time was throwing parties at that Playboy Mansion. So where else can we make Marilyn's 75th birthday party incredibly explicit and fun for (laughs) a box set of Marilyn Monroe DVDs? Well, everybody wanted to come to that birthday party, including George Lucas, because at the time, Fox was releasing the Star Wars, the new Star Wars movie. So we invited him. Everybody came to that, which is what led me to my role on the theatrical side. They saw these big events happening, you know, the stage show as well as the red carpet or pink carpet for Marilyn Monroe. And they were thinking, why are we not doing these things for theatrical? I love, you know, what's so funny about that is <laughs> it's almost if you were, um, I don't want to misspeak, but like if you're in the top tier, like you're the front end of the film marketing world, you're, there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of money, and you often follow a script because it's safe. It almost feels like because you're working on the box sets, there wasn't it wasn't top tier. There'd be more experiential or experimental, and you can get yourself out there really in a creative way. And then that success begot news. Oh, that's so cool! I just love those moments because there's like a tipping point or a changing point for all of us, and you have to kind of discover that in your own career. Yes. Um, when you're living your career, when you're looking at other people's career, it seems so obvious. But when you're living out yourself, there's There's these moments you have to navigate and push yourself through. I agree. And I think that my experience both at Disney Channel and Fox Home Entertainment were roles that no one ever had before. And if you're given that opportunity, you don't have to follow a blueprint or you can look at the existing blueprint and recognize things that can make an impact and make a change. And I think that, you know, game changers are so important today. If you just follow a blueprint and you're never going to expand and learn and grow. And so working on the Fox theatrical business was so much fun because 
these were first time brands coming out. It was really exciting, um, not only to work with talent and producers and directors, but the opportunities to work with brands ambassadors on different platforms, people who were on shows or on um, athletes who you think, well, what did they have to do with this movie? But we borrowed the equity and make them our brand ambassadors and it suddenly became content versus a paid commercial. Commercials were important, but everyone had a DVR, everyone zapping through those commercials. So it's all about integration versus interruption. It was all about using these amazing brand ambassadors. So it felt like, oh wait, my show is back on? Oh no, that's not my show. But sure. they're talking about something that, and I like them and I'm interested in that. So I think I'm gonna watch that or I'm gonna see that. Um, and, and I really embraced that and would always try to find that one big idea. Um, that would be the unexpected, exciting, you know, home run, shareable moments. Everybody wants to be viral. You can't say this is the thing that's going to go viral, but it's, it's having the ability to have your finger on the pulse of things and say, no one saw that coming, but it was really, really rewarding. Well, when we were pre, kind of pre-showing, Keith, you were telling the story about The Greatest Showman. Just kind of Tell the story here, because I know that that's... I obviously had left prior to that movie releasing, but um, I was there for sort of like the early iterations of it. But I watched it on Fox, and, you know, I knew as soon as I watched it, this like, I, I knew in my head, I was like, oh, this has Michelle Marks all over it. Because it was, it was big, it was huge, it was original, it, it didn't feel like anything that any of the other studio had ever done before. And I think that is where Michelle always shines, is she always pushes the envelope. And I think that is what is in dire need of pretty much every studio right now. And I, the one question I would ask you, Michelle, is, you know, one, talk a little bit of how, how you kind of got that all together, because just the mere putting that all together. Thank you so much for, for making me feel uh, so good. <laughs> um, I love that. Um, but basically the greatest showman was a very challenging movie. It's a musical. It's about a circus. Circuses can be polarizing. Um, it was um, trying to make this the most compelling, you know, film that people were going to want to see. Uh, during the holidays, because you had the new Star Wars. Um, it was Star Wars The Last Jedi that was coming out at the exact same time. I want to say that um, it was also like Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. I mean, these were brands that everybody knew. Pitch Perfect 3. I mean, these were all the films that were coming out at the time. We're like, how on earth are we going to make this with the objective of this is going to be the holiday movie? for uh, that season. And so I was given this incredible opportunity. Um, there was a, a live, the, all the networks were doing those shows live, Hairspray Live. Oh, right, I remember mm, yeah, that yeah. trend. Yeah, right. So Fox had a live show going on. It was Christmas Story Live. And we had this idea. Jeez, wait a second. Let's just, let's just marinate on that. Like, the Christmas Story Live <laughs> was, was not good. <laughs> You know, those lives are tricky, but it was a gift. Yeah, they're very tricky. And, and so we had this amazing opportunity. We were going to do the first ever live commercial, not a 30-second commercial, but a two-and-a-half-minute commercial live in this Christmas Story Live. And so they handed me the project, and I said, okay, this is really intimidating, but also really exciting. 
um, the director of the movie was uh, Michael Gracie, who was who has done many um, live, um, not live, but he's done many music video type of things. We, we had um, our director who was on board to help direct this, but the challenge was this was live. And so we were able to, I, I was like, you, you know, we, we have to put our best foot forward. So we're going to need a second director. We're going to need someone who could pull this together and make it, you know, someone with a lot of experience. And um, so I reached out to uh, a, a personal friend of mine who is an incredible uh, live director. Her name is Beth McCarthy. Um, she directed so many episodes of SNL and she's done so many great comedies and she is the most endearing, wonderful person. And she agreed to come on and, and work with Michael and we brought in an incredible team of people. And so we created this two and a half minute commercial that we produced everything uh, with a live musical performance featuring Hugh Jackman, Zendaya. Um, but what was incredible, I thought about it, was that to prove it was live, we had to bring in some social influencers who would be behind the camera. And I encouraged them to have their phones on because I didn't think people would believe it. I didn't oh, that's cool. think people would believe that this was live. How do you know it's not pre-taped? Well, you know it's not pre-taped because if people have their phones and they're sharing it, then you know, okay, this is the real deal. This is it. Um, so it was very exciting. And the social influencers with the global reach, we had like 192 million followers that day, which I couldn't Holy believe that, that happens. And our global box office ended up being $435 million um, for a movie with no, you know, there was no franchise attached to it. It was a tricky film to do, but we pulled it off. And we were very excited about, um, you know, people you know, writing about it and being excited about it. And it was an incredible team effort. I had a great team um, that helped me put this together. So. What's interesting is, is that you're, one is I can almost hear how the Disney Channel stuff that you did, because, you know, really it's like, we'll say like the launch of the influencers, right? Those younger people that became influencers. In a way, you were there at the genesis of some of that, that trend. But so that's probably part of your DNA. Um, but really what's interesting to me is that you are you're making content about content in a way. So today, one of the things we catch up, uh, we're catching on to inside of Hollywood Breaks is that the word film or word television is all just being melded to content. It's basically a generic word. It's kind of ugly if you ask me what's really happening. But uh, one thing that curious is that you're basically recognizing the ability to leverage it and saying, oh, wait a second, if we do something live or we do something with people that have some followers of notoriety, you can create actually a whole second show, whole second moment about a film that's about ready to be released too. So you get this engagement of an audience in so many different ways on so many different platforms. That's true too. I think that it is all about the conversation. You want to be part of the conversation. And how do you become part of the conversation? You have to have your finger on pop culture at all times. Who's relevant right now? What's everybody talking about right now? And how do you meld that together? How do you connect the dots? It's all about that that sort of connective tissue if that people like to talk about. And you're like, well, what does that really mean? But yeah. validating. It's having third-party validation. It's about reviewing your strategy. It's about identifying brand ambassadors, whether you realize they're brand ambassadors, to just basically dispel all the naysayers who are like, that looks terrible. You know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, there was no Rotten Tomatoes credibility. 
Now, your film or TV series or whatever it is, streaming series, can be completely ruined by uh, uh, 50% fresh. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, whereas we used to open stuff that, you know, was garbage. <laughs> No, I mean it was it was it was the magic of marketing. We could totally convince the movie. We cut a trailer, and the movie looked a million times better than it actually was. Well, but you can't or, do that when, anymore. <laughs> when Cammy was on, we we recognized just that some people would never have seen the film if we were just waiting for you know like everyone to love it. Yeah, and then it becomes for, these yeah. pop culture hits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what have you guys? Uh, with that in mind, who do you between the two? Of you guys kind of give me your perspective of who do you think is doing this well nowadays. Because I'm trying, I'm racking my mind of like, is anybody even challenging ourselves nowadays? Or is it all blended to some weird, like 15 second TikTok videos that you have to be in the right demographic to even see? I think that it has become so fragmented. And that is such a challenge that I think all advertisers and all marketers are facing with today. I think that um, there is so much out there. There's so much content out there. There's so many choices out there. I know that during, um, during the Academy season, when all those different movies were coming out, friends of mine didn't even hear about some of these movies. I couldn't even say what platform they were on. I just knew they were out there. But there's no, there's such a sea of, of platforms and content out there and so much happening with companies consolidating and merging. I mean, yesterday, MGM was absorbed uh, by Amazon. And each one of those streamers has so much power because they have such a wide platform and, and such an incredible subscriber base, but they're so concerned with their subscribers that they don't need to spend money to reach an audience necessarily the way we used to because they just want to maintain their number of subs. And there's a delicate balance between where does all this content get lost? What, what do you think, Keith? Well, I mean, I, I would agree with you. I think it's there's a lot of stuff out there and it's really hard to break through the clutter, if you will. But, you know, when we um, Tim brought up, when Cammy was on, and we Cammy and I have sort of gone back and forth about this being former creative advertising gut people and still sort of in it a little bit here and there. But we missed the campaigns. Like when Cammy was at Netflix, she said, like, I missed a campaign, like building out an entire campaign, like working with all the various departments within theatrical marketing to craft a campaign. And you're right. Streamers don't have to do that. They care about the subscribers. And Amazon, it's not really even about subscribers per se. It's about Prime members. They just want to draw people into Prime. It's not necessarily about subscribers per se. But I would say that I really don't think anyone is really knocking it out of the park right now. I think... There are a lot of people, it's interesting that you, throughout the course of your career, what I really picked up on was how you were really part of some of these transformational moments that in marketing, just in terms of first with Disney Channel with Experiential, and then bringing that whole experience to the theatrical world, which was really unseen at that point. And now it seems like everyone's kind of gotten stuck in sort of the, the, as you said, the blueprint marketing, like doing the same things over and over again. Like we were talking last week about some of the studios are sort of like almost reverting and trying to like, like I saw a promotion for a trailer, like they're cutting spots to promote a trailer now. And it just seems like so backwards to me in terms of like, rather than trying to find a new way to engage with the audience, what I loved what you said, because this was something I tried to do when I was at Fox and I just got shot down every single time was to try (laughs) to get 
Yeah, she, she's shocked by that. <laughs> um, but the idea that you are allowing your influence, the people on set with phones, like I wanted to give our actors like phones and like let them shoot what's happening on set because that's what people care about. That's how you create an audience. That's how you create the brand ambassador. Like it was fascinating to me half the time we would build up all these, like our Facebook numbers would explode right before release. And then we'd disappear for three years until the next one came out and we'd give them nothing to, to munch on or anything. And it seems like they're still doing the same old tricks. And I think what we're really due for is sort of like a revolution that like, you know, the, as I mentioned earlier, the points that you went through in your career where you were there for like certain revolutions. And right now, I think because of merger mania, everyone's swallowing everybody else. There's like, okay, we just, we just got to keep doing what we're doing because one, I don't want to lose my job. And, you know, we just got to keep doing the same thing over and over again. And it really is a definition of insanity. And, you know, <laughs> what I've sort of been trying to say to, you know, so I'm blue in the face is you've got, we have to try some new things, guys. We've got to try to do different things and yes. you've got to push the talent to realize that, you know what? Their movie stars aren't around anymore. You really want to be an influence. You got to position yourself as a brand. So start like, you know, start taking a phone to set and talk about what you're doing on set. Show, you know, maybe show yourself not necessarily all makeup. up. Here I am in the makeup chair, getting ready, blah, 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 blah. You know, just give them something that so they can feel a part of the experience. Versus yeah. just going back to the traditional, oh, let's just cut a spot to promote the trailer. I mean, come yeah. on. Do you think there is? Do you think there is going like going to be a revolution soon? Like, is there a moment that you're talking to me, or are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. No, you guys, you're the ones that kind of I think have been on the inside of those those rooms where you know what people's concerns are, what the decisions making like. Even like it sounded, Michelle, like it sounds like you navigate through many different departments in making this happen. Like you're not, you're pushing people without stepping on their toes. So, you know, is there, is it too safe right now where everyone's really afraid and pandemic scared or are we ready for a revolution? I think that a lot of companies, what I've noticed is each of these big companies, your Netflix, your Amazons, even Disney, they have hired a lot of experts experts in their respective aisles. And people are afraid of, they stay in their lane. They, they are afraid of crossing those divisional lines. And that is absolutely necessary in order for your brands to break through. I think that your original question that you had shared was, who do I think is, is doing it well? And I think that the company that's most poised to do it well is Disney. And the reason is because they have so many franchises. So Keith, when you gave that example of something happens and then three years later, something returns, Disney has this incredible machine that they strategize from the moment they are releasing things to what's going to become a Broadway show, <laughs> yeah. a pair of pajamas, the to next a ride. <laughs> a ride, you know, in theme park. And that cycle will continue to elevate it down to the cruise ships. Um, and so they are poised to really have that strength and longevity across so many divisional lines. And especially with releasing things in theater and on their streaming service, the Disney Plus or, or the Hulu, um, I, I feel like they are really in a great position 
to promote and support, but they have to be willing to cross divisional lines and not all stay in the individual lanes. It's obviously they have to, they have to be super sensitive too because Disney is a brand that you know they that is coveted, but they have to be willing to cross the lines. And I, I will say that you know. Um, I don't know if you've talked, Michelle, to anybody who was at Fox, is now at Disney. Um, yeah. There's definitely been a bit of a culture clash with regards to that because Disney is very much, I think you're right. I think if there's anyone, I mean, again, like when we were at Fox, the joke I always made was always ready, fire, aim in terms of strategy. <laughs> we never really had one. It was just sort of, let's go. The movie's coming out. What are we going to do? And it was, I mean, that led to a lot of spontaneity and creativity and, you're right. At Fox, it was like we everybody crossed lines because there was just no way we were able to get anything done unless we did do that. Yeah. Because it was like we were we were a lean and mean machine. We didn't have 50 people to do one job like some of the bigger corporations did. So it lent itself to that. Now, I know that Disney is very sort of like they do have sort of like the they have great strategy. They really lay it out. But you stay in your lane. Like there's no sort of crossing over. And I think that's sort of the challenge. And it's it's sort of breaking down those walls. I think that's a great point because that's the only way you're going to start to see some more um, sort of a rejuvenation in terms of the creativity. And this is something we bemoan on this podcast all the time. You know, we had Richard Rushfield on a couple weeks ago and we were talking a little bit about how we basically had the same five or six people running the studios for the last almost 20, 25 years. Right. It's the same group and they just sort of bounce around like, where is sort of like the Irv Thalberg, who was 26 when he was president of production at Columbia? Like, the young the young guns now are like Emma Watts and Sean Bailey, who are pushing 50. I mean, it's like, where is that group who's going to kind of rise up and sort of... Because that's what's going to take. Because there's a lot of people who have almost been institutionalized. And because of all this merger mania... No one wants to rock the boat because no one, again, they all, everybody has mortgages to pay. Nobody wants to sort of get thrown out with the bathwater. So they're playing it safe. And I think we need a little bit of risk taking if we're really going to start to see a little bit of a revolution. Now, I know you're smiling at me because <laughs> you're like, you're crazy. <laughs> I think you're right. Um, and I, I think that um, there needs to be some point of reference that can be part of these, as I said, call them cross-divisional lines. And that's why I always bring up social influencers, because I feel like you can put them in your series, you can put them in your film, and they'll start talking about it from the very beginning. Um, and they could be your, your connective tissue for the whole campaign, in a way. Um, because, um, you know, regardless of the size of what um, an influence is, whether they have several million followers or several thousand, they're in a privileged position that they could really reach out to a lot of individuals online. And they have the power to sway everyone's purchasing behavior. And if you want people to go see your movie or watch your show, um, you're going to need to create that sense of urgency and know when it's on. Even though you think, well, we, we did everything. It would be impossible for people not to know but you're living, everyone's living in their own little bubble. Bubbles, so you think yeah. These bubbles, they keep inflating the bubble and the bubble's going. But what happens outside of that scary Venn diagram? <laughs> yeah, I guess what, I, what I'm thinking, is, especially because we're talking to Michelle, like I'm almost concerned that the Michelle Marks of the world are going away. Like we don't have this opportunity where a person 
you know, works at a major studio, has the ability to walk in and out of different offices, to be creative, to challenge people and actually be promoted and encouraged to do so instead of, um, you know, asked to stay in your lane or whatever. That, that to me is, I think, is what's kind of disappointing is that we're making it too milquetoast all around. And I'll say this, like from, it also sounds like you're, the way you would go about doing your marketing in the fact that you're making additional content and doing so, you'd almost feel like every studio would embrace this idea because from every feature film they're making, they can make four other pieces of major content, a live event, a, a live commercial, social media content on the side, all building up to the feature film release and fill in all those other channels instead of uh, kind of keeping everything systematically into, you know, like strategic, you know, silos that don't have that crossover. Um, so that's why I almost feel like, I almost feel like we're, are we missing that person that has lived out an entire career in different, wearing different hats that we're not asking them for their yes. expertise anymore? I would say yes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like people want to see the unexpected. It's always exactly. fun when you are a part of it, when you are discovering That's it. I remember we, we were at a Comic-Con a few years back. Um, we had a Kingsman panel. The whole 45 minutes was dedicated to Kingsman. And we did a cold open. It was animated. And we basically worked with the sister company at FX to do an animated Archer short that featured our lead Brilliant. character, um, the Exy character from Kingsman um, in it. And there was just this silence in the Hall H where you could hear a pin drop. And then this roar of excitement when people realized, oh my God, they somehow combined the Kingsman and Archer, like why and how did this happen? And it was so <laughs> much fun. And that's the kind of stuff that, you know, is a great way to kick off campaigns. It's a great way to feel like you are part of the pop culture and you're getting some excitement by an audience that's now going to have these shareable moments. And if you stay in your lane and you play it too safe, people aren't sharing. It's just become something that, that's expected, you know? So if you're young, breaking into Hollywood, um, trying to figure out where your place is, or you're an independent filmmaker, is there an opportunity in this? Is there an opportunity for um, uh, somebody that's outside of the now the conglomerate system? I, I used to call it the studio system. Now it just feels like the big powerhouse system to kind of become a, a trend and start something new and you know, begin a new way of producing content or creating those followers. I think so. I think when you look at um, some of the gamers, for instance, and you look at companies like Epic Games, um, and they have they have you know the game Fortnite, and we saw Travis Scott do that concert last year um, in the in in the game itself. It's really a matter of coming up with new and unique ways. If you're trying to get in from the marketing side, you have to figure out where where are the consumers? Where is everybody? Where am I going to reach people and come up with unique ways to find them? But I feel like from a content perspective, content is king. There, is, there are so many platforms out there and everyone needs great content because there's a lot of bad content out there too. Um, so content providers will always have a home. It's just will your content be seen? And how do you get your content seen? And it, it's the same questions that you ask everybody when you're making a film or a series? Who is this for? 
And why did we make this? And those are <laughs> questions that if you can't answer that, then it's going to fail. Yeah, we always got kind of dragged into those conversations uh, a little bit later than normal. Right. <laughs> than we should have. <laughs> that's key. You know, it's like, who is this for? Why did we make this? And they're like, we don't know. That's your problem. Figure it out. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we paid for it. We didn't make it. We're just, yeah, we didn't make it. You, you figure that out. That's why we pay you. <laughs> right. Who thought this was a good idea? <laughs> oh, we've said that a few times in 335, I can tell you that. <laughs> but it's so key that, I mean, how many times have we been hearing this now in the 50 episodes into this? Um, the gamer word keeps popping up. When we yep. do clubhouse meetings, Neil jumps in and talks about the gaming perspective and how they're really making it into episodics. Um, the The gamer world is becoming really the the platform where you have the most ability to be creative because I feel like there's, it's a lot more dynamic than these established studio systems that are um, scooping things up. Yeah, I think Neil nailed it. What what distinguishes the gaming from the theater is like you go to a movie and you're given like there's a story already told. You just sit and watch it. Whereas a game, you're involved in the story. You choose that you create the story. And I think if there, if the movie industry is really going to start moving forward, there needs to start to be some sort of experiment with regards to a kind of a choose your own adventure, sort of. I know, I, I mean, I know you have a friend who's kind of doing something similar to that. And, you know, I think that's going to have to start to, you're going to have to start playing with a little bit. If you really want to challenge sort of the gaming world, then it's got to be like, you got to start involving the audience a little bit more. And Granted, that may be 10, 15 years in the future, but part of that may be sort of involving them somewhat in the marketing, bringing them in earlier, making them a part of the movie so they feel like they're invested versus just having stuff thrown at them. So when it comes time for the marketing to hit, you know, you know you're ready to start your campaign, you've already got people who are on board because they've, they've seen it. They want it to succeed. I mean, you have to really understand when you're sitting in a room with a bunch of people who have worked their butts off to make a movie, to open a movie. It's when you get invested like that, you really want it to succeed yeah, because you are so invested. And I think that is where the, the studios have to stop with this sort of like the, you know, again, the bubble mentality, work behind gates, live behind gates, nonsense that has sort of dominated Hollywood since the time memoriam. But with the pandemic, those 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 blocks are breaking down. So this is the opportunity for the industry to broaden out, start reaching out and start involving people in your movies earlier so that when the time comes, you've already got your cheerleading section. You've already got your, your, you know, your fan section behind the hoop ready to cheer you on when you're getting ready to shoot your foul shot. That's what you need. And I think that is a way to be a more engaging audience until the technology sort of catches up when you can start doing a more immersive experience in a theater. Um, I agree. I mean, I think kind of what you were saying, you know, we've had all the sponsorships and all the testimonials and all the product placement, but it was always controlled by the marketers. And now, you know, they're no longer the ones who get to decide because the, you're giving the power to the consumers. The consumers love that stage in a game because it is a little bit of choose your, choose your own destiny because they get to control what they see and get to be surprised by it and get to choose to go into different components and rooms within the game. Um, and marketers just simply can't control the brand message the way that they used to. And I feel like consumers now have the power to inform the perception 
with other people about whatever that brand is. So um, I think that's, that's, I think that's the beginning of your revolution. I think you guys are finding the, where the revolution is going to begin somewhere in this uh, interactive gaming platform slash consumers deciding something that we don't want to be spoon fed the, the uh, milk toast garbage that's being pushed to us sometimes. <laughs> it's about credibility and authenticity. And yes. when you know about people that you feel like they're just like me, I'm going to trust them as opposed to somebody that you know is getting paid or shilling a brand. Yeah, pretty awesome. All right. Well, unfortunately, we are at the half hour mark or more at least. Michelle, as we said before we even got started, this is probably the beginning of a five-part series Part one to really kind of five. Get, get your genius out of you here. As long as you enjoyed it. I mean, I, you know, we might get off here and she'd be like, God, that was brutal. I hate those guys. <laughs> I loved our discussion. This is a lot of fun. It was really nice to meet you, Tim. And it's you always too, a pleasure to connect with Keith. Um, we've had many, many a good laugh in my offices. Yes, we have. Yes. I'm so jealous. I wish I was there on the Fox lot. These offices sound like a lot of fun and a lot it of torture was. at some point. It was torture, <laughs> but you know what? We never would have got through. I mean, I, I always say I never would have stayed as long as I had if it weren't for the people that I worked with on the third floor. Yeah. If I just had to work with the first floor, I might have jumped out the window. <laughs> <laughs> out of the first floor window, Keith? Out of the first, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like jumped into the pool or the little, the little water fountain outside of Pam's office. I'm out. Believe me, that's happened. <laughs> well, I'll, I can tell you, I can tell you with confidence now, Keith, the Golden Globe parties this year were not the same as the ones you guys enjoyed back in the day, too. So you guys obviously lived out a, a beautiful moment that yes, will not the, be I think we were one of the last great ones. Um, it was it was a lot of fun. So that's really cool. Well, thank you for being here, Michelle. We loved having you part of the conversation, and we will have you back. And for those of you listening, please, if you love what you hear today, um, hit the subscribe button. Tell your friends about it. There's a lot of great things happening in Hollywood Breaks. You can listen to our past episodes, many of the other folks that we've had um, in the conversation. You Hopefully, you're hearing the same trends we're hearing, which is why we're doing this. There's some amazing things happening in Hollywood, as well as plenty of things changing, and we think there's opportunity in that. So Keith and I and kind of our mission in life with our clients is to find those opportunities for you and um, get you engaged in them. So we love having you as followers. Keith, I love having you as a partner in crime here. Thanks for all that you do. And then behind the scenes, Lydia, we could not do without you. Thanks for keeping us straightforward in production and Connor for being that active bystander that you are. Thanks for being <laughs> there and available for us. And until next week, we'll see you on Hollywood Brew Breaks. Have a wonderful week. Well, one Bye. more quick plug. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, we have uh, Tim Heindel on next week from Lionsgate. Also a former Fox um, alum. So uh, he will be joining us and we'll talk data. Talk I about feel like we're going to have like Woo! our own version of the Friends reunion coming up where we just need a couch <laughs> and a fountain and Keith's buddies sitting around. I'm going to make it happen. It's going to be like a big window and we're all just going to drink and talk about our days at Fox. It'll be glorious. Yeah, sure. <laughs> we'll be pulling it off. She'll be there. Trust me, she'll be there. She'll be, there. She'll be the first That'll one That'll be there. My, second, my second one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.